The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Thanks very much for joining me for this episode of Climate Matters, where we have another of our interviews with electoral candidates. I'm Lindsay Wood. I'm from the climate strategy company Resilience Limited, and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and of other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, today, as I said, there's an interview, and it's an interview with Jace Hobbs. I won't give any more introduction because that will happen in the interview. I do, however, have to make a small correction. You will hear when you're listening to the section on transport that through a slip of the tongue, I referred to Auckland. I should, of course, have been referring to Nelson. So apologies for that slip. It's a real pleasure to welcome Jace Hobbs, Nelson's Green Party candidate, to Climate Matters. Jace is a successful inventor. He's worked as an entrepreneur and a consultant in developing electric transportation, and he champions the coming transition to smart new transportation technologies. He was on the development committee for the Auckland 30 Transport Plan and the board of the Sustainable Business Network, and brings that range of expertise to debates on environmental issues. Originally from the U.S., Jace says he's in New Zealand for all the right reasons. <laughs> Ten Arque, Jace, a very warm welcome and many thanks for joining us on the show. Yora Lindsay, I'm very pleased to be on your show. Lovely. Well, let's get into it. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Let's start with your reasons for standing at all, Jace. There are likely to be a lot of reasons why you're standing for Parliament, but Climate Matters, as you know, is a climate-focused show. So I'd like to start by asking you to give our listeners a sense of where climate issues fit among your own reasons to stand and why that is so. Lindsay, there actually are not many reasons that I'm standing, um, and the climate issue is front and central to everything that I'm concerned about. Um, I guess you and most of your listeners would uh, agree with me if I said that it's a very critical year, a critical election, and a, a crucial decade for making some progress on climate issues. We're kind of late in starting the um, efforts that we might have done. We should have been doing this 30, 20 years ago, something like that, and it would have been a lot easier for us to make a transition into a clean and sort of non-carbon-based society, but we aren't. And I consider this election to be an, um, a kind of a, a rallying cry for myself to get out there and address the public and help us to, th to face actually an existential threat. It's not simply, you know, some policy that I would like to see enacted. I think these are just, these are actually existential issues that we face today. That's what I'm in for. That's what, that's what's driving me. That's a great answer. Thanks, Jace. And um, uh, it focuses very well on a, on a show like this. Thank you. So 
moving now into Green Party policy, climate policy, unsurprisingly, climate receives significant focus in the Green Party manifesto. Even so, it's characterized by being very broad and aspirational, which then invites in questions around what actual strategies might give effect to those various aspirations. For example, what real actions might the Green Party envisage in achieving the wonderful aspiration described as, and I quote, Aotearoa New Zealand being on track to end fossil fuel use and production no later than 2035 through legally binding mechanisms. Over to you. Well, um, rather than go specifically into every policy that the Green Party advocates, and it, there is a rather t- extensive uh, you know, list of those things, I think we need to back up and we need to say that New Zealand has every incentive to end the burning of fossil fuels. We live the furthest away from the major fossil um, production sites, and we pay enormous amounts, about $7.5 billion a year to foreign countries which aren't even democratic. These are countries that we deplore their human rights records, the way they treat citizens, the way they treat women, and yet we pay them billions of dollars each year. That's one reason. A second reason is bringing the energy cycle home and creating our own transportation mix and our own uh, you know, fuels future creates enormous jobs. It brings the wealth home. It brings the jobs home. It, it helps our public services because it, you know, the, the burning of fossil fuels is a big public health issue. And for that reason as well, we should be bringing our own uh, public uh, production of energy back to New Zealand. We have great reserves. We have great opportunities here with our wind, with our solar, with our hydrogen um, production possibly, and with um, the um, possible tidal generation as well. We have really great sites for that. There's really every incentive and actually every incentive to do it and actually every disincentive if we don't do this. We are making ourselves more vulnerable. We are hurting our balance of payments. We're you know, depriving our young people of jobs. So all of these actions that the Green Party advocates, and I personally advocate, are highly beneficial to a climate future, but also to a business future. These things go hand in hand, especially in our little nation, which has so much opportunity within the renewable sector. Thanks for that, uh, Jace. Without disagreeing with anything you've said, I'm, I'm going to ask you, focus again on the question a bit, what real actions might the Green Party envisage? You, you've given a lot of really good reasons to do it, but I don't know what those real actions are yet, and I also don't know what the legally binding mechanisms might be that are in that quote that I read out. Can you um, expand a bit on those for me, please? Well. Um, yeah, we should remember that we are signatories to the Paris Accords and the Kyoto Accords, which t- target us and which make us arguably direct us to achieve a carbon neutral society, which can meet a 1.5 degree temperature gain. Now, if we as a nation just use that as a um, 
focal point, and we say we are, do will and actually honor our commitments under international law, then it will direct, direct almost a myriad of other smaller actions. I mean, it, I, I mentioned those things like converting to renewable energy and, and you know con- transitioning our transportation cycle um, system in order to use uh, non-carbon based fuels and things like that. Um, this is the this is the very much most important thing that we can do. Of course, with the farming sector, we also have a very important um, function as well because agricultural uh, methane and agricultural emissions are the greatest part of our emissions sector. And we also, and interestingly, also have the very most uh, productive reduction possibilities. So we really have two things. We have really great opportunities. And I argue we really have responsibilities to the international community and to our own children, our own Mokapuna, really, that we owe it to them, the international community, and to our grandchildren to integrate all of these new technologies and all of these new programs into policy directives that bring us out of this mire that we're in, where we're actually headed to ecosystem collapse and, uh, you know, worsening global temperature gains uh, and a myriad of other, you know, societal problems that we just do not want to face. Okay, thank you, Jay. So we could we could talk a lot more in that area, I'm sure, but we we might move on now to to treaty considerations. Um, I'm a great believer in integrating indigenous knowledge into climate responses. I've advocated that for a long time. And Green Party climate policy seems to go a step further even with numerous references to self-determination by Maori on climate, such as, and I'm quoting, support the autonomy and self-determination of Fano, Hapu, and Iwi and Maori businesses to develop their own climate change adaptation plans. In what way do you see such self-determination as benefiting our overall responses to climate as compared, say, with actively integrating and balancing the different worldviews? Well, I, I think, as I, I've had quite a few discussions about this within um, Green Party people and, and the business sort of interface with that, and um, it is something that I think we will benefit from uh, exploring. Uh, one thing we can count on with indigenous cultures around the world, but specifically, you know, our Maori culture here, is that they have a uh, a definition of themselves and a kind of a sense of themselves um, as being connected within the ecosystem, and that the the plants and animals of the ecosystem are cherished. And that's something that has gotten away possibly a bit from our, you know, European heritage immigrants. And so we are one are learning a lot from that and also would benefit from leadership within that sector, which, you know, there is some leadership out there. But I want a point I want to make about this is that the Maori community and indigenous communities in general are not monolithic. It's not like they have a, a particular view, which you know, they say the Maori view. You know, there are different strategies within indigenous cultures, and there are different voices within indigenous cultures. So us working with all of those things is part of a good d- democracy. We have specific requirements to work 
with with those voices within the Tariki obligations. And I cherish that. I think it's a great thing. I think it's it's a um, opportunity for us to mature our sense of self, to mature our sense of self within the environment, and to and sort of like think about you know seven generations further on to think really far ahead and to think of the legacy that we are leaving with our actions and with our environmental policies. Um, I I would have to say that when you think about Maori businesses and Maori um, legislators or, or parliamentarians, they are largely aligned with the Green Party in almost every issue. I do not think that we are going to find that we are at um, sort of counter uh, that we're fighting each other over um, specific things. So without without having to, you know to tell you um, you know specifically every point of how that would be, I think we'll find that the Tariki leads us to a sustainable future because our bicultural um, actions make us strong. That's a fascinating answer, Jace. Um, I do want to lead you a little bit further along that because um, part of the question was framed around how does how do you see such self-determination by Maori as benefiting our overall response as compared with actively integrating Maori worldview with um, with different worldviews? And I guess inside that is you made a good point about the fact that we can all benefit from the te ao Māori, but I guess behind my question is that if we allow or encourage self-determination there, how do those benefits then get better assimilated by non-Māori, for example? Well, you know, I mean, one might assume that things like the Paris Accords are do not apply for every New Zealander, but they do. You know, we have a system which doesn't incorporate a biculturalism here and and our foreign policy has led us to made to make international agreements and to make commitments within our nation itself the autonomy in terms of observing those um policies or those treaties do not mean that they don't apply to every new zealander so those things will actually um accrue right down to the iwi in every uh, in every sector and um they will you know that this is this is part of of the bicultural thing the actions we have taken are taken biculturally that they are they are assumed they are accepted we live together we are making a national effort we have national agreements um the way we actually pursue the actual implementation of those will be different for different communities, for different cultural backgrounds. Um, but I don't think that that removes in any way the uh, imperative for us to take those actions. Great. Thanks so much, Jace. I want to segue on now to an area that I know is close to your heart, and that's the issue of transport. Nelson's recognizes having globally extreme use of private cars. And that really, I mean globally extreme. And these, in turn, account for some 94% of our region's household emissions, slightly more in Tasman, slightly less in Nelson, but very much of that order. On the positive side, we have just seen a major step up in regional bus services. Yay for the blue buses. 
if the Green Party had influence in the coming government, how would you like to see that government assist ongoing major decarbonization of our regional transport? Yes, well, you know, I totally applaud the um, individuals, including Rachel Boyack, that has created the e-bus system here. Um, it's not just her, it's a, it's a, a, you know, it's a consortium of people that have done that. And I'm, you know, I'm really excited about that. And of course, this transportation is something that I have been speaking with, I mean, about for about a dozen years now in New Zealand and um, have spoken widely mm -hmm. on the implementation of electric transportation for our future. Um, I think we should remind ourselves that this has been a Green Party policy now for 20 years. And the um, practicality of it with the new electric buses has created perhaps the uh, commercial model, the the sort of the, the incentive, market incentive, not just the, the ideological incentive to decarbonize our transportation. And this these e-buses are showing that, proving that they're very practical, they're very clean, they're very quiet. Everything about them is great, including that they're very inexpensive to operate. Over the lifetime of those buses, they will save a lot of cash, a lot of money, a lot of public resources. So um, this is these are very, very good moves. Um, we do need to shift away from the private automobile. When you're talking about the uh, the you know the carbon emissions in our area, you're talking about the Nelson Tasman region. Nelson, it's 94%, I believe, is the um, the amount of the 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 carbon emissions that we create per in our households is from our transportation cycle. That, of course, right. that's extreme. That is um, perverse, even in this, you know, considering the um, climate obligations we have. And it's also unpalatable um, considering all of the other options we have here with our lovely environment for biking and other sorts of, you know, walking, biking, that kind of thing. And so the, the, the method of decarbonization is called intermodal transportation. You want to include public buses, you want to include walking, cycling, and other forms of, you know, personal transportation like that. And all of those together can alleviate this burden that we're putting on, one, our, our economics here, two, our public spaces. I'm, I forgot what it is. It's something like 40-some um, percent of our city is paved over with um, you know, roads and, and transport. Yeah, know. I, th I think um, Nelsus did a, a study, and I think it's about 44% of Auckland's inner city area is given over to, to vehicles, either roads or car parking or car lots and that sort of thing. I, I mean, I hope that your listeners listen to that and are shocked by the idea that the almost half of our urban environment is given over to cars, basically. Mm. Um, yeah. So that includes parking, of course, things like that. The future technologies of transport are going to offer us lots of opportunities to get away from that model. Um, and I don't, without, you know, going into the, I, I really could go into that at great depth. And I won't, I think the immediate things that we have to do is we have to work towards having a greater frequency of buses on the main lines so people will overwhelmingly know that the bus is the most convenient, most direct route that they can take to their destination. Mm -hmm. um, so on the main lines, I'm hoping that we will, in, in the next two years, 
go to a 15-minute frequency in all the main lines, that it actually will tip the balance. At some point, things just tip into a, a very convenient uh, acceptance, and our community will change, and it will change in a really good way. The other, of course, thing is we need to do in that regard is the intensification of our inner cities. We do need to stop running the sort of the Australian and American model of building uh, two-car garaged homes out into the uh, former farming fields. That is, of course, uh, another problem, both sort of ecologically and uh, and, and even socially. It, 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 it's a sort of an alienation principle, but it also leads us to an, an energy future, which I don't think we want to accept. And we've also, you know, we have committed ourselves to a different energy future. So um, without going into a great detail on that, I just want to remind people that the Greens were the first to suggest this. And it is my great pleasure to represent the Greens policy um, in this field and to see that it taking root. You know, we are, we are now seeing the, the real practical um, installation of these kinds of um, technologies mostly in our public sector and like electric bu vans, buses, trains, ships, they're all coming. And you'll, we'll start seeing that the most, the most uh, convenient way that we will travel is changing and it'll, it's changing away from the personal automobile. You're right. Oh, look, thank you. That was a very full answer, Jason. Not surprising given that Transport's one of your particular areas. But look, we're really running out of time, and I don't want to finish without inviting you to tell us briefly why a vote for you or for Party Vote Green would be the most effective way to vote for those Nelsonians who wish their votes to have the maximum benefit for Aotearoa New Zealand's climate responses. I think you, I think your listeners should hear, and I hope that they agree, that Green Party policies have led the way in terms of progressive social policies, but also in terms of very uh, important environmental policies. James Shaw, the Green, the, the climate minister at present, um, has done more in the last five years than all other governmental actions had done in the previous 30 in terms of climate benefits. That's, I think, a really good legacy from this th this election um, cycle, and I hope that it carries forward. And it will carry forward, of course, if people put this sort of existential issue primarily um, primary in their voting issue in their voting decision. I hope that they do that. Um, if we're going to stay within the 1.5 target, we're going to have to change the way we do business. Business as usual have to change. The Green Party has outlined a lot of the detail of how that that can change and must change. And so if you are voting party voting green, what you're doing is you're giving us a mandate to go forward in this next governmental cycle to advocate for those ideas to push forward on the on the sort of continued benefits that we've already created within the environmental um, community, to go for more swimmable rivers, to go for cleaner air, to a cleaner transport sector. We should have free dental care for every New Zealander, and we can, and we can. 
and you want you need to stop me, don't you? Uh, well, we're, we're running short on time and we're getting away from the climate a bit too, Jace. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, sir. Well, look, thank you very much for all of your full answers and considered answers, Jace. We really are out of time, so I'll need to end now. And I thank you very much indeed for sharing your views with listeners and with me on this episode of Climate Matters. Nga mihi nui ki a kwe, Jace. Thank you, Lindsay. Aroha. Well, thanks very much, listeners, for your company on today's episode, and thanks, Jace, for your contribution. I do hope you have a good week, and I look forward to your company again next week, in which we will have another interview of with another political candidate. Kia kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.